Hello, everyone. Dr. Anna Kabeca here with an episode of Couch Talk that we are going to dig deep into stress, how we handle stress, and trauma response. Now, many of us know of the amazing uh, natural disasters we face from Hurricane Matthew, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Maria, just those, the fires in the Northeast and Southeast and sorry, Northwest and Southwest. And, you know, the life, the, our life traumas, our daily traumas from losing someone we love to abusive situations to stressful um, financial and occupational situations. So I'm bringing to us today here on Couch Talk a awesome lady out of British Columbia. <laughs> um, want to introduce you to Tara Miller. Tara, it's great to have you here with us today. Hi, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, let me tell our audience a little bit about you. Tara is a psychotherapist, author, and speaker. She has her master's degree in counseling and is trained in advanced self-regulation therapy, abbreviated SRT. She operates a private practice out of Kelowna, British Columbia. I hope I said that right. Kelowna, yep. Good. And um, she sees individuals for general and trauma-specific counseling in person and throughout North America via Skype. Her articles and research have been published throughout the country, and she is regularly invited to speak to professionals, entrepreneurs, athletes, and women's groups on her science-based, whole-brain, nervous system hacking approach to wellness. She works with successful CEOs and entrepreneurs, and she also has an ebook on her site called The Resilient Mind that we'll give a link to you in the show notes. So Tara, I'm excited to have you here today, and thank you for being with us. Thank you. So let's go ahead and get started and talk about trauma and talk about, you know, what are we, you know, what are some of the um, most common um, therapeutic approaches that are done now and how is self-regulation therapy different? Right. So, and I think in my practice, I deal with a lot of misconceptions about what trauma is or how we're supposed to respond to it. So a lot of what I do is really providing an education in how the nervous system responds to trauma based on the fact we have the same nervous system as other animals in our survival response. But as humans, we respond to trauma, not just the usual, what we would expect, the hurricanes and the, and the fires and the car accidents, but anything that causes significant overwhelm to the nervous system can be classified as trauma. And it all initiates a response from our survival brain. So, um, the classification of trauma and what's common is really individually perceived and responded to to varying degrees and there's no standard for a big trauma versus a small trauma and that's probably the biggest misconception that I work with is people start feeling symptomatic in ways that don't go away after what they conceive to be or perceive to be a small trauma like a minor fender bender. And the biggest takeaway really about trauma is it's never the size of the trauma that's going to determine how you're going to heal from it or respond to it. It really is what's already in your nervous system at the time. And so our resilience determines our response to trauma and that resilience is dependent on how regulated we are as individuals, what's happened in our past up to this point. So if, if not a lot has happened in somebody's life, they can have the experience of, of going through a big flooding or losing their house or losing a loved one 
and feel like they respond relatively quickly and come back into their lives again. And other people will have some minor dental procedure or a minor surgery or fender bender, and it's really the straw that broke the camel's back as far as their ability to come back into the functioning of their lives. So um, common traumas, all of those, lots of car accidents, lots of medical procedures or illnesses, grief is a huge one. And then we have vicarious trauma, which is everything going on in the world today that we're watching from behind a screen on repeat multiple times a day in our feeds and not able to respond to, but horrified by it at the same time. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Like I say, you know, the stress will be reduced substantially if we stop watching the 10 o'clock news. That's true. <laughs> so, so that's something that we can talk about. I like that you mentioned resilience and resilient, resilience really, as we work to teach that comes, we talk about self-care a lot in, in my practice and in my um, programs is that self-care filling our tank so that we can maintain this peace, be the, you know, eye of the storm, right? So to speak, be the ocean, not the waves. And that we really grounded, centered and, and able to have the full range of human emotions in a healthy, in a healthy way. Um, and I like what you said, because I always say this in grief, you know, we cannot compare ours to anyone else's. And it is very individual. So I, it hurts my heart when someone says, well, I lost so-and-so, but I know that doesn't compare to your loss. I mean, there's no comparing. There's absolutely no comparing. Our feelings, our emotions, our response is truly our own response. And like you said, it may be um, so much in our past that relates to how we respond to that. So I would like to talk about some ways to build a healthy resilience, but also can you give me an example of like, say, um, in, in working with a client who has suffered a trauma of, um, P, who has PTSD and how you will work with them in getting to the root of this issue and releasing that traumatic hold right. that is on them. Right. So anybody that comes in, I think the first thing that's different about the way that I practice is different than some other, certainly than the way I was trained in my, in grad school is we don't launch into people's worst experience of, of their lives because if they're coming to me, they already have a full container. We don't have symptoms of anxiety, depression, insomnia, chronic pain, etc., unless we have a full container already. So they're already coming to me full, which means if we go straight into, run straight into the fire, they don't have enough room in their nervous system, uh, enough resiliency in their nervous system to really go and heal that, those traumas and, and, and work through those issues in the first place. It's just going to cause more, more overwhelm. And what we know about the brain is it can't heal if it's outside of this range, if it's outside of what they call the healing vortex, it goes into the trauma vortex and you're just kind of recapitulating the trauma. So when people come in, we're, we're really starting with where they are here and now and looking at establishing that the trauma is over because as humans, we have these frontal lobes and memory that can keep the trauma memory alive so it feels like it never ends. It's just this never ending memory or impact. And so we create an end moment when they come in, in into session so that there is a marker that says this trauma is over. And we look at different parts that we call it resourcing, where we're looking for different places in their lives where they do have health, where they have had resilience in the past, where they have experienced joy or the absence of symptoms. 
And because it's working neurobiologically, as they're talking about times that they've felt stronger in their life, their brain's releasing chemicals related to strength, relating to the state that we want them to be in more of. And it's increasing their resilience, but it's also decreasing what's in their container and, and kind of building on this strength-based approach that we're gonna start strong, we're gonna use the practices of self-regulation therapy, which help um, regulate the nervous system by decreasing excess activation that's stuck there from trauma and building resilience at the same time. So we create an endpoint, we start in the here and now, and then we start to kind of work back as their resilience and their capacity for handling some of their trauma um, is available to us. But we also don't work with trauma in a linear fashion. So if we talk about our trauma in the same way that it happened and we work linearly, every time we remember it and every time we talk about it, it wires together the neural pathways around that event even stronger. So what fires together wires together. And if we talk about it in traditional talk therapy modality, all that person is doing is reliving that event. So with SRT, we work with it in a different way that's nonlinear, that allows for us to pause the story and help the nervous system settle through mind-body connection. And then we go back into the story and we use a process called renegotiating the trauma so that the trauma lays down in the memory different than as it happened. So even just that process alone decreases a lot of flashbacks, nightmares, those kind of disturbing symptoms of PTSD. But it's a slow process because we know the brain is very fast to injure, but it's, it has the capacity to heal and change the entire course of our life, but it is a lot slower process to heal than it is to injure. Mm, yeah, no, that makes sense. And especially when these, um, like you said, this uh, pathway has been trained, has been so ingrained. It's like train tracks. They're just, you know, they're so embedded right at this point, um, dug deep. So you're taking them off the track, right? Very yeah. from it and then coming around a different, a different way to solve the problem. So versus, um, again, reliving the problem again and again and again, reliving that situation again and again, which our body are in PTSD, that's, it's working on autopilot in that way. That's right. That's right. And so, people have a sense and an urgency and they've often, by the time they get to me, they've tried so many other different approaches and they just are so frustrated with how they're feeling that they feel so out of control of their own mind and body but there's an urgency that says, if I just get to the end of the story, if I can just get to the end one more time with the right person, this will be over. And it really is this desperation for the nervous system to have it be done. And we just do it in a different way so that it can be done and realized, you know, in the right parts of the brain is being finished. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tucked away, contained, right? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about that some more. So you use a mind-body <laughs> approach. Right. So self-regulation therapy is based in what we know from neuroscience about how the brain and the nervous system are impacted from trauma, but also how they heal from it. And it's based on the fact that our fight, flight, or freeze response is initiated from our survival brain. But a lot of how we try and heal from trauma is coming from our frontal lobes, uh, our thinking brain that's trying to make meaning and understanding of things. And it is always trying to overpower um, and understand what's happened to us, but actually our response and what's happened to us has been initiated from the unconscious, irrational, 
survival focused uh, part of our brain that we call the reptilian brain, which is really just the, the brain stem. Uh, its only job is to keep us alive. So it's not um, emotional and it's not logical, but we're trying to understand what's happened with those parts of the brain versus trying to heal it by hacking into the primal brain in a sense. So give us an example. Like how does that work? How do you apply this in, um, into practice again? Right. So I often use the analogy of like an animal in the forest, a deer that's grazing in the field. It senses threat from a predator or a hunter. All of the blood flow in, in its body changes, respiration, heart rate change, eyes and ears open up, wider field of vision, and it prepares for a response. And typically the deer's gonna run, so it's gonna flee. And it hasn't thought about it, it just does it. When it senses the threat is over, it's gonna go back into the field and it's gonna release a bunch of energy. They do these big movements called pronking that gets extra energy out, shakes the muscles out, they will tremble, they'll sweat, and they'll get rid of physical energy that they no longer need to fight or flight. And they bring, come back down to baseline. And when their system comes back down to baseline, they'll go back and they'll graze in the field <laughs> and they'll never think about what happened again. As humans, we have this ability with our memory to then think about what happened. We have the same response, but often what happens is we're not able to run away or we're conditioned not to. So if we're in conflict um, or we're in a disaster, our instinct is gonna be to run, uh, sometimes to fight, but we can't, we can't run, we're trapped. Um, so all of the energy that we would release um, from fleeing the scene and all that um, excess energy that we could kick out, sweat out, and then come back down the baseline, we don't get to have the experience of. So a lot of post-trauma symptoms come from what we call thwarted fight or flight, it means you have the initiation of a response to do something and you might not be able to do it. So you, you hold that energy in your nervous system, which really fills up your cup, fills up so that you get those overwhelming symptoms. And so when we work with SRT, we're looking at connecting the mind and the body. The nervous system is the mind and body combined. So we can't separate them because if somebody's telling me the story of what happened to them, even just digging into it, even just thinking about it, they are initiating a complete physiological response. Their body is responding as they're telling me about what they want to work on. In that moment, before they get overwhelmed, I'm going to pause and I'm going to ask them to notice what they notice. And that could be a thought, it could be an emotion, but it's usually a physical sensation. We're really connecting the mind with the process of fight or flight in the body. And they're going to tell me usually that they feel their heart rate or their breath has changed or they're tense or they're uncomfortable. And we pause the story to go into the body and, and work some of that activation out. So if they are telling me that they're short of breath, instead of forcing them, asking them to force a deep breath, I'm gonna ask them to notice where they do notice that they can breathe easily. It's gonna take the brain to notice even one inch of space where their breath is just easy. And as they focus on that one spot, their breath naturally deepens. They come back down to that baseline in that moment just by working with different parts of the body. If it's uncomfortable, I want to find a place that's comfortable, bring the focus there. They're in their body feeling sensations because the language of the nervous system is the felt sense. So we're always bringing it back to the body, having people being able to come back down to a relaxed baseline 
sometimes they do shake and tremble and sweat in session, which is great. And then when they're back to regulated state, we go back into the story. And so it's kind of like teaching their nervous system how to breathe again. It's stuck in this one mode of high activation. We're working with their body to teach it that they are actually able to come back down to baseline. The trauma is complete, it's over. And it expands the resiliency as we do this work because they're able to tolerate more of their story, come back down to baseline, and it becomes this pattern that we teach the brain you can have your story, you can come back from it. And it, every session, they get a little more calmer, a little closer to find, report decreased symptoms, often within just a few sessions. Yeah, I like that. I like where you said teaching the nervous system how to breathe again. That's really powerful. And then, you know, where I've practiced um, EMDR, you know, we've done mm -hmm. emotional freedom technique, EMDR, that mm -hmm. bringing, you know, uh, awareness of where are you feeling this now where in your body are you feeling this and and allowing that to release is an interesting phenomenon does it matter where you're feeling it it doesn't because everybody's going to feel it differently um, and so some people and I and what I noticed with women is it's often in it's often in the chest area it's often in the breath or the there's a constriction so that's a, a common place that that's going to show up, but that's also a common fight or flight um, physiological response. So that, that makes sense. If somebody's dealing with chronic pain, often they're going to notice tension where they have chronic pain already. Um, so it's, it's variable, but the breath is, is a really common one for sure. Very good. And so then how long will that typically, how long will that session, how long will that tip, how many sessions typically are needed and how do they then carry on? What's their homework for this? So homework is a lot of the self-care or self-nourishment, um, which are, we talk a lot about lifestyle practices, uh, things, and I work with a lot of alternative medicine, functional medicine uh, type providers here as well, where um, some people I'll refer to an acupuncturist, some people to a homeopath, some people to a nutritionist or um, somebody for massage or fitness. So we're looking at lifestyle practices, what's going to support your whole health and your long-term recovery. So what you do outside of session is really going to support what we do inside session. So the session work Typically, people are starting to feel improvements after three or four sessions. But again, if somebody has a lifetime of trauma and they come to me for the last car accident they had, other things are probably going to come up and we're going to have to work a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody's ever down to zero where they have nothing left in their container. But we want a good 50% so that when the next thing in life comes, there's, there's resilience and there's room to deal with it in a really healthy way um, and coming back down to that baseline of regulation is a lot faster. But typically, you know, one car accident might be six sessions to work through. It's, it's a really specific strategic way of working through the different traumas um, as we go and it is a slower process. Their homework is, are going to be things like, let's talk about your nutrition, um, let's talk about your sleep, let's talk about your supplementation, your exercise levels, and how those are nourishing you and regulating your nervous system and keeping your inflammation low and keeping your blood sugar regulated and all of those things. So it's really a holistic approach. In my practice anyway, that was something that was really important to me to include that knowledge as well as other professionals and, and have people supported by collaborative care.
Yeah, no, I think it's, again, it's a multi-systems approach, right? But I, what I really like is that um, the that it's no, it's not the person, it's not the victim's fault, it's not the person's fault that they have this um, constant thoughts, the constant memories, the grief, the inability to function, that it's really ingrained deep. So I would like you to talk about that some more because that is hugely powerful. And, um, and then I want to, again, address retraining exercises. Mm -hmm. So this is a big myth, too, that people take on a lot of guilt and shame with mm -hmm. how they've recovered from trauma or how their symptoms have come up and, and they're frustrated by it. Some people completely hide the fact that they haven't slept uh, in years since their event and other people just feel very victimized by it. So one of the, one of the parts of this education where we talk about this is how your nervous system works is it's a depersonalization of what's happening. This isn't you, this is activation, this is your nervous system, this is your animal brain that was just trying to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. and then, um, to depersonalize it where people remove the ownership of, well, you know, I can't fix my anxiety and, and, and now my insomnia is so bad and we just call it activation. It's just all activation and when it's not yours, when it's just activation that is the scientific phenomenon in your brain and your body and this is how we're going to work through it it really helps people outside of session to put their experiences and their symptoms in context it's not you there's nothing that you could have done differently it's there's nothing for you to feel guilty about uh, this is your nervous system this is how it responded and it's just activation and this is how we're going to work through it so it depersonalizes it but it also gives a person a sense that there's light on the other end of this tunnel, but there's also a sense of control that there's lots that they can do in and out of session to really help themselves through this. But even just knowing it's just activation, that diffuses a ton of anxiety symptoms outside of session. Yeah, no, I can see that. So giving it its own little, giving it its own big identity. I mean, this is it. This is, this is the survival mechanism that we've been designed with, and this is how it's working. It's not no longer serving us, so let's handle it. Yeah. That's right. right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so powerful. And um, what do you see typically if someone hasn't been dealing with it, what are the symptoms, the relational um, problems that they're coming into you with? So the most common symptoms are um, anxiety where they never had it before. Um, anxiety when they don't understand it. Oh, when I go to lie down to go to sleep, I should be relaxed. I start to feel a panic attack or I don't know why I can't sleep. Um, chronic pain, those physical symptoms, headaches, stuff like that's very common. As far as physical symptoms, in relationships, it comes out, and, and personality and temperament have a lot to do with this too. Some people just feel really flat. Um, they, they've kind of gone into a, a dissociative state or just a flattened, not ability to experience joy anymore kind of mode where they just feel flat, they can't connect. And other people feel um, hypervigilant where they're on guard for everything and they can't relax around anybody and stimulus from other people is too much. So they, they really close in. I think the most common thing that we see with trauma is when people haven't worked on it but feel like they're managing it, often what happens is they've shrunk their lives so much so that it feels manageable, but they're not really living the fullness of their life, which is the goal of SRT is to not have lifelong clients, but to really help people get to a place where 
they're, they're expansive. They're managing the fullness of their life and anything that happens to them with the ability to bounce back and the confidence that they have the ability to bounce back as opposed to making their, their lives so tight and small that they feel in control again. So that, that's kind of the biggest relational thing that we see is the shrinking. And the goal is to really bring that to resolve the trauma and help them create more Maximus in their life. Yeah, no, that's so beautifully said to open the doors again, because we tend to close them. And, you know, my personal story, my journey is to a significant trauma in our life that, you know, has been a decade of PTSD and, and just learning the ins and outs of it and watching the evolution in my therapeutic <laughs> process, right? But knowing this cortisol oxytocin connection, right, the overdrive of our nervous system pushing yeah. our fight and flight mechanism, driving up our adrenaline, adrenaline, driving up cortisol that, you know, like frying our nervous system until our paraventricular nucleus, until our like um, a brain mm -hmm. says, okay, enough, you're frying me out. And that puts the yeah. brakes on it. It also puts the brakes on oxytocin, our love bonding connection hormone. And exactly what you said, people can't connect. They're disconnected. They no more joy. That's oxytocin. And so yeah. we, they are losing that oxytocin. So um, what I, I always love the discovery of practices and processes that help to reset that wiring because it's not about taking right. or supplementing with oxytocin. Mm -hmm. Definitely we have to put ourselves back out there yeah. in oxytocin nourishing activities. Um, but let me ask you, do you also note, I call it oxytocin seeking behaviors as part of their journey, you know, as part of their post-trauma pathway. So um, mm -hmm. shopping, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, um, excessive anything, right? Or oxytocin, so sexual. Um, certainly, uh, certainly there's a, a lot of addictive type behaviors that come out of this as people try and soothe. Um, so it's the oxytocin, but also then in other people, you'll see really the looking for the dopamine charge Yes, and, and you get both with those. Um, and, and for a lot of people, it's, I just want to feel something and I feel nothing. And especially if they come and they're medicated or over medicated, depending on what they're on through, um, their a psychiatrist or their doctor that increases their flatness and their inability to feel joy or they don't feel maybe as much of the negative, but they don't feel the joy and the fullness, but they also really are inhibited in how they can connect. And a lot of what goes offline with trauma too is the ability to trust yourself to connect with someone else. And it, certainly if there's been relational trauma, that instinct is so offline that that's a really long road of, of kind of reestablishing that you can trust your own instincts. But there is that sense of I don't, the world doesn't feel safe anymore. So not only do I not trust the dog that bit me, the car that hit me. I don't trust the person that hit me. I don't trust anybody or anything or even myself. And that, again, is that pulling in and pulling away from life. And, and we know trauma really interacts with the entire endocrine system. And women especially are seeing a ton of hormonal um, disruption patterns because of previous trauma that they've never worked on. And they're just in this 
chronic burnt out state from all of these chemicals flooding for way too long. Right. And that is a huge um, issue because we've seen research in, in women who have been victims of child abuse or, or in especially looking at our veterans of war who had PTSD. When they yeah. hit menopause, this menopausal time period, our, yeah. you know, we have a harder time. It's like, you know, we get the more crazy, you know, we get the harder, harder symptoms of menopause, more hot flashes, more anxiety, more depression, more loneliness, everything is dysregulated, that hormonal disconnect. There's a big part of that that I believe is connected to our drop or decline of progesterone, because it's so neuroprotective. So do you use progesterone in clients during this time? I recommend, I, I have people that I would refer to, to that I would say, well, it can help. You've I, seen I, it help. Yeah. I say, I, I, I'm always checking for when did you have your last set of labs done? And it's not a common practice in a lot of the professionals I work with here to, to look beyond just what the story is, but I, I need to know context. I need to know everything that's coming to the table because if someone's iron deficient and they're telling me about panic attacks, well, let's work on the iron deficiency too, because that could just be where your heart rate is coming from or same with thyroid and the hormonal panels. And it's harder up here in Canada to find access to, to labs that are affordable and people that can help in this specialized way. But that is really important. And that's something I do refer out to quite a bit because if there's a hormonal imbalance and we're trying to work in this way, we're still going to make progress. We're still creating new neural pathways around health. But why not get the most support for all of your systems at the same time that you can to make this road easier? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so one of the things I want to talk to is so working in the self-regulate, finding finding a therapist um, that does self-regulation therapy, how does one go about that? Sure. Um, so self-regulation therapy was developed out of a nonprofit up here in Canada, the Canadian Foundation for Trauma Research and Education. And I can definitely send you the link for that. They have um, a page on their site that has all of their advanced level practitioners. And many of us do Skype if, if there isn't one in your area. The, the spread of training um, for SRT professionals is a little slower. It hasn't come out of a university. It's not, um, they've, they've trained internationally, but they train in small groups because they really believe the, because we're working right brain to right brain, which is all attunement it's you know how the mom attunes to the baby how you can pick up signals i have to explain that sorry yeah Yeah. so explain right brain to right brain what do you mean so the left brain is is the talk brain the logical brain we're gonna talk about your story and try and make meaning of it most people have already done that the right brain is really the part that is the grounded part of your nervous system that connects and attunes in an unconscious way to another person. And it's, it is so how the mom can read the baby's cues when there's no language. It's also how we feel another person's state. If we're around somebody that's low or depressed, we leave feeling lower and more depressed or different. If we're around somebody that's really grounded and positive, our nervous system's attuning all the time to people around us and picking up their state. So there's mirror neurons that do that as well, but this really is a right brain, uh, the right front orbital cortex. And we use that in SRT to connect with um, the client. So a lot of it is the nonverbal and using the felt sense of the body. And so that is how it is a little bit different. But because of that, um, the people that train train people for SRT, 
therapists and doctors and medical personnel for SRT believe in the importance of everybody doing this work themselves um, and also that there's supervision involved that they do personally. So the trainings are a lot smaller um, and I assist them with a lot of their teacher trainings um, to support that because I believe in we need so much more of this out there, especially with the levels of trauma increasing. So you could find us through the website um, for sure. And anybody that's interested in getting some of this training, they do hold trainings all around the country um, multiple times a year. But it is a very kind of specific, selective, hand-guided uh, approach that's run through this really amazing nonprofit. Yeah, that's awesome. How does it differ from EMDR? I mean, other than the light therapy, I mean, how does it really differ in, in context? So I've, I've seen people, and I haven't experienced EMDR myself, so I can't speak on that front. Um, I know um, I've done SRT from my own car accident work and whatnot, and what I really liked about it was it wasn't, um, it wasn't ever overwhelming. I, I didn't ever, we avoid dissociation um, because dissociation is the highest level of activation. So SRT works in a different range than EMDR works and they have very similar principles. I have had some clients that found EMDR way too activating for their particular case or nervous system. Um, they found the light or the moving finger to be really agitating um, and, and it wasn't something that they tolerated well. And SRT for them had them feeling a lot more in control um, of their own session and of their own experience. Uh, and also, it's not overwhelming. It stays within a range that really is contained um, and attuned. And they, a, a lot of people have preferred that if they didn't do well with the MDR. Yeah, no, I can I can see that too with the MDR. It depends. I think there's there's ways to do it gentler than other for sure. But um, so it's fascinating. It's definitely therapeutic. I will say there's many, sometimes we have to look at multiple modalities. I definitely like the approach because I can see where other, you know, who wants to be in therapy for the rest of their life, right? <laughs> I mean, I could be. <laughs> but, but we don't want, we want quick and we want to get through it. We want to re, you know, wire our nervous system so it's not continually traumatizing us. So after, you know, um, so with even self-regulation therapy, I know as with EMDR and work with me and PTSD, there's still that occasional flashback or that reaction. So how do you instruct, like, how do you instruct them to handle, how do you instruct your client to then handle the situation when it's real in front of them in the, mo in the moment outside of therapy? Right. So a lot of this work is self-regulating so that people can do this <clears throat> outside of session. And, and so there is guidance as part of that because those flashbacks for any of us will, you know, we're triggered by the anniversary of the event or, or a smell or a, nothing at all. So there's no rhyme or reason to it. So again, it's really depersonalized and, and taking the shame away from the fact like, oh, I thought this was over. It is over, but as your system gets healthier, you're able to tolerate those moments. And when they come up, what we do in, in session is the, the nervous system starts to look forward to it and starts to respond faster because it's building these new neural pathways that then the brain is using a little more often. And when you're out of session, you're able to use the same principles, which is if I have a flashback and I go into brace, 
I know to look for a place in my body that feels relatively more comfortable or more grounded or where I'm feeling better. So, you know, for a lot of people, it will be, they just go into their senses. I can feel my butt in the chair getting ready for this interview, getting a little nervous. I felt my butt in the chair. <laughs> just noticing the sensation of the chair on the back of my legs. And then the breathing slows down all by itself. There's no work to it. So it's learning how to guide your own consciousness into places of your body that are doing well, that remind that primal brain we have all the air that we need. Oh, we're very relaxed. This is a place of comfort. Because where you direct the focus of the mind is where it will then light up and release chemicals to support that state in your body. So we do that in session. And then over time, people are able to do that out of session. And you said this learning to guide your own consciousness to a place of peace, right? To a better place. And I really like that. And that, um, that as they focus, right? So it's mindful being in bringing them back to the present. Okay. What's real for me at this moment and being mindful. Okay. What, what is bringing, what brings me joy? I liked how you said early on, what are moments when you're strong And I think that's a great visual for our listeners even right now is to look at yourself at your highest self, your highest moment when you felt so happy and strong and joyful and what that felt like. Mm -hmm. And then to embrace, you know, to feel those um, feelings come back in. What did it smell like? What made you smile? What did that feel like? You know, to really bring back to that, that strength point and hold on to that at times when a flashback threatens you or a crisis, you're facing a crisis situation, where am I in my most healthiest, happiest, highest self? So we get that oxytocin up and serotonin and GABA and all those good neurotransmitters. Do you find certain supplements help also other better than others or anything that currently that you want to make sure your clients are on or thinking about? There's one that I do recommend. Um, and from kids with test anxiety all the way up to adults with acute or or kind of this chronic sense of activation or anxiety. There's one I really like called Mental Calmness uh, by Natural Factors. It's a chewable L-theanine. Is that how you say it? L-theanine? L-theanine, uh-huh. It's one of my favorites. Um, I'm recently looking into ones that have GABA in addition to it because L-theanine does increase GABA, which is that nice, relaxing, kind of calming um, neurotransmitters. So, um, those, that's one that I recommend for sure. I, I recommend the common ones. Um, I I mean, they seem common to me, the, the turmeric, um, the omegas, the, um, magnesium, um, making sure people have optimized vitamin D levels. Those are the common ones that I feel comfortable with the research probiotics as well, that I feel comfortable with the research on those supplements with mood regulation I that I'll recommend uh, but anything beyond that I really send people to a professional yeah but that's huge right there you know I mean just a basic even good methylated B vitamins you know B6 yeah. B12 that's huge and we want them in the methylated form so for our listeners dealing when dealing with anxiety etc this is really important because our body is is you know, um, leaching our nutrients in order to maintain our stress level. And so we have to fill up our building blocks. So I I agree with yours. I think I actually, I love a a product by Zymogen called um, Mag Neuro or Neuromag. Mm -hmm. 
and it has magnesium L-theanine in it. And so it's a good product and glycinated magnesium also. So yeah, absolutely. Magnesium and omegas, yeah. uh, methylated B vitamins. Those are huge. And I'm glad you recommended vitamin D. Low levels of vitamin D are associated with depression. So we want to get healthy vitamin D up. And then you also mentioned probiotics. I couldn't agree more how important our microbiome is in producing the serotonin that you know, in abundance that we need for our body. So healthy probiotics, and of course, definitely, you know, nutrition and, and movement and, and forcing ourselves into community sometimes because our world does get small. We do a good job to isolate ourselves in certain ways, but forcing ourselves into community and to really relish in that experience. And that is a good way to, to bring up our oxytocin. So, yeah. We also use... Um we also use imagination a lot in session, which is if you don't have a, a sense that you can remember when you were feeling at your best or joyful or resilient, we're going to create one in imagination. So we use imagination in terms of going back to a memory where you were at your best and people's breath changes, their posture changes, their um, blood flow to their face uh, increases. And we we pause the session too at those moments so they can really get a sense of what do you notice right now when you feel good? This is how we create a pathway is by connecting it to the sensation. Let's savor this sensation, the goodness, because the brain is always going to want to go back to the badness. So taking more time in the goodness and really learning how to sit with it and savor it and allow it to grow and then imagining what you want so that you're not in this moment forever. What's your optimal future? What would be optimal? You know, we use that if there were missing resources, you didn't have a person you needed to support you during a, a traumatic time, what would have been optimal? Bring that person in in your imagination and play out a movie. Your nervous system will respond as if it actually happened because it doesn't care if it's real or imaginary. So we do the same with establishing future growth and health, which is how are you going to know when you don't need to come here anymore? How are you going to know when you're really healthy and moving forward in your life? Because often people forget it's, it's so important to be present, but often people forget what to look for and what to tell their brain to look for as far as when they're actually coming out of it and healing and getting better. So that's the best part of the job is really being able to sense or see the best in people and help them feel it and establish it in their nervous systems in the moment. And then they actually become what they imagine. So it's, that's a huge part of the, of the work we do that is, I mean, it's the yumminess in the session. I love it. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think that's a great way to close is just empowering our imagination. And that brings, you know, use it, use it for our good, use it for our strength and um, empowerment. And also, I, you know, big message here is never give up hope. And so I hope our listeners today, I know that I have gleaned so many good pearls from Tara Miller out there in BC. And um, it's really been great to have you here, Tara. And just never give up hope for our listeners. And there's always, okay, what's the one next right step that I need to do? How can I look at the situation differently? Where do I point my flashlight into the direction of feeling good, positive, powerful? You know, those are really three big words. I mean, I would just say powerful, positive, and present. Those are really three big um, places to take ourselves on a regular basis. So we train that into our discipline and use our imagination to get there. I 
I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tell our listeners how to get a hold of you and to get your ebook that you've made available for our listeners. Right. So you can go to Tara slash Tara-Miller.com, Tara-Miller.com. And there is a link there for um, a downloaded version of the book, The Resilient Mind, where I do talk about a lot of things that you can do right where you are in your life that will help um, nourish yourself, start giving you some regulated um, sense in your own body and your own nervous system and give you some access to other resources. So I would love to see you over there and um, to connect with me through there anytime. Sounds good. Thank you all. Thank everyone for listening. Please share this on, we have this available on YouTube, on our iTunes podcast, and please leave us a review. And we look forward to seeing you all again next week on our next podcast. Thank you.